It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. We live in a time when the living body of our Earth is under attack and when the attacker is not an alien force, but our own industrial growth society. At the same time, an extraordinary recovery process is underway, a vital creative response we call the Great Turning. These are the words of hope with our guest, Joanna Macy. Dr. Joanna Macy is a scholar of Buddhism, general systems theory, and deep ecology. She travels the world offering trainings to enliven and empower our responses to planetary crisis and has been an activist for more than five decades. She's a respected voice in the movements for peace, justice, and ecology, and is the author and co-author of many books, including World is Lover, World is Self, Thinking Like a Mountain Toward a Council of All Beings, Coming Back to Life, and co-author with Chris Johnstone of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. Join us for the next hour as we explore the practice of active hope in these challenging times with our guest, Dr. Joanna Macy. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Joanna, welcome. I am delighted to be here with you, Justine. It's a delight to have you here once again on our airwaves. Um, Joanna, I would like to begin, whereas we taught, as I said in the introduction, these are extraordinary times. And can you give us an overview of the three stories that we're living simultaneous? Yes, uh, that has helped me very much to see our situation and our possibilities in terms of the stories that we choose. And there seem to be three that uh, are gripping us right at the moment. The first, which most people, it seems, certainly those in political and media and military and economic power, is business as usual. And that is, uh, we may be in trouble now, we're a little shaky, but we'll get right back on track by continuing to grow our economy. And that means feeding the engines of corporate power because that is the way we realize the American dream, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as I said, uh, that is a very powerful story because so many people believe it and because it's on the corporate-controlled media all around, and we're kind of hooked into it by our lifestyle. Uh, but there are two other stories. The second is that I think that most scientists and many activists see it, our situation in terms of this second story. 
the great unraveling. And that becomes evident when we pull back the carpet a little bit and look under the surface at what business as usual is costing us. It's costing us the world. It is uh, destroying the very uh, natural systems on which life depends. It is causing spasms of extinction. It is polluting and contaminating our world. It is um, raising the forests. It's deadening the seas. You know, it's a sad list. And you mentioned that, Justine, in your opening. This is uh, what we are asked to wake up to, and it's hard. So that's the second story, and it's happening, too. The third, before we get to the third one, they're happening simultaneous. Business as usual, that whole privatization of everything, ownership, every people get exactly. their, their own stuff and that and people living as individuals. There's not an acknowledgement of the interdependence of life or it's just kind of get yeah. mine. It's everybody out for himself. It's based on um, what seemed to work for us that um, the prize goes to this most competitive and the one you just grab as much as you can because that and consume you have to keep consuming because in late capitalism that's what drives the engines of our economy and there's no limit to growth I mean it's like oh we'll just keep growing and growing and growing that's right that's that we're held somehow in that story we are blind to the limits even though they're becoming more apparent. In the second story, and these are stories are actually versions of re, the scene, the, the world scene, that we can, uh, how we make sense of things. So the second way of making sense of it, the second narrative, the second version of reality, then is the great unraveling. And that's when we get all the reports of all that's going on the uh, the melting of the ice caps and the the seas uh, the acidities in the seas all, all all sorts of things the weather changes yes and permanent war and yes the acceptance that in order to keep the engines of the consumer society and industrial growth going we simply have to go where the resources are because the earth is primarily in this story. Um, seen as a stockpile of resources, a supply house and also a sewer because all the waste that we create by turning the natural world into consumer goods and into military hardware uh, causes a great amount of contamination and waste. And so that's what the earth is viewed at, a supply house and a sewer. So the second story, what we perceive once we look at what it's costing us is, and that's a term that I, uh, David Corton came up with, and I really like it, the great unraveling. Justine, I like it because that's what systems do, biological or ecological or cultural systems. They begin to unravel. They lose their diversity under the strain of the assault of the growth uh, economy. They fray 
relationships break apart. And uh, so and then, the news is getting worse and worse in a way. It's, and it, but you don't stop there. You go to a third story and yes. say a little bit about the third yeah. story. Yeah. Well, the third story includes what New Dimensions is doing and what countless people we know and people that you cover on your programs and put on the airwaves. Uh, and this is those who see what is happening in the major narrative of our time, the economic growth scene, also see the great unraveling, but don't want the great unraveling to have the last word and see that there is a huge evolutionary drive and potential in our making a transition to a life-sustaining society. So this means that this is the biggest revolution that we know about in human history, or at least as big as the other two major revolutions. Which were? 10,000 years ago, the agricultural revolution, where we settled down, began to cultivate, grow surplus foods, begin to build cities and granaries, trade, writing. It changed everything. And in our relations to each other and to the earth and who we are. When we stopped become, becoming hunter-gatherers, we settled down and we started tilling the earth. That was a major, major That's revolution. Right. That's right. And we and see, along with that begins to come in a trade and begins to come in. Then uh, money comes in. Yeah, in some money. Way. Ownership. Ownership. Yeah. And uh, so, and, and great accomplishments, of course. Uh, but, and now then, um, the second revolution is much more recent, started just 300 years ago in um, England. And wow, what a change that brought as we began to, with uh, the power of coal and other fossil fuels, to uh, build the mills and the factories, uh, extend the mines, begin uh, fabrication thanks to machine and the steam engine and all the uh, machines of uh, production that uh, grew up so fast, pulling people from the countryside, from the commons, into the mills and factories and mines, and then extending abroad to see seek for uh, more markets and goods in the colonial period. All of that uh, changed the way we live, the way we think of ourselves, what work is, what parts of uh, what we can aspire to, and again, how we view the earth. And now the third revolution is upon us. And I love the social thinkers, Lester Brown, Dana Meadows, William Ruckelshaus, you know, he was the first director of the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, I, he, he pointed to this. He said, what is underway uh, now is a revolution as big as those other two. Only this one has to happen more quickly in just a matter of years, and it has to be conscious. 
The others happened out of their own dynamics, so to speak. So do you have a name for this revolution? Oh, yeah. Think? Well, there have been a lot of names. You know, they call it the ecological revolution, the sustainability revolution, the environmental revolution. But more and more of us are simply calling it the great turning. Oh. We imagine uh, as the, the future ones, just a couple, two or three generations from now, will look back at us living now and uh, if there's a future for them to live in and be healthy in, uh, to breathe the air and drink the water, they'll look back and say, oh, a great turning happened back there. And those ancestors, that's you and me, uh, they were there for the great turning. So in, in that great turning, we, we will be doing, it's not only a physical turning, it's, it's a turning of our consciousness. Yeah, it has to. Yeah, just as uh, Ruckelshaus said, this time we, we have to choose it. So it means that a wholesale revision or sorting out or shaking up of our values and our perceptions. How do we perceive this earth? And so we say, and this is what's so thrilling, Justine, is that at this moment we can harvest conceptual and spiritual breakthroughs happening now in our time. May it be so. I'm here with Joanna Macy. She's the co-author with Chris Johnstone of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. My name is Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to new dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Joanna Macy, and if you'd like to be in touch with her or like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, joannamacy.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Joanna, I know that you feel it's really important for us to face and look at, look in the eye, what the unraveling to actually to feel the pain of that, to feel our our rage about that, to feel that. And I haven't heard many people talk about that. A lot of people say, oh, you don't want to look at that. So tell me, why <laughs> why should we look at that kind of pain that we feel? We're not going to be able to pull off this revolution, this third revolution that is the great turning with our eyes closed. We have to have our eyes open and our heart open. And our mind open. 
Otherwise, we just get frantic and run in circles and fall prey to the latest demagogue or the latest scapegoating ideologue, you know. So uh, we're not going to be able to heal our world unless or take part in it self-healing, I like to say, unless we're ready to be with it fully, with full attention, indeed with full presence. And you know, Justine, that perhaps is the greatest gift we can give our world, to be fully present to it in our uh, heart and mind as well as with our body and in the air we breathe. So how can we be present if we edit out and are fearful of the signs of its pain? Joanna, the... Some would argue that that would make us feel overwhelmed, feel um, go into depression. Depression is a huge epidemic right now in these times, and that it would it just stops us in our tracks if we look too deeply at all that's going on. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I know that this is that's the voice of fear. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, quite widespread now, a fear of being with the suffering of our world, a fear of suffering with our world. Uh, that's like saying, I'm going to be afraid of compassion. To suffer with is the literal uh, meaning of compassion. So it's not, we don't need to wallow in the pain and spend hours and hours tearing our hair and beating our breasts because of the starving millions in the world or the disappearing of sea life. We know it's there. The thing is we don't want to be afraid of seeing it and afraid of our heart breaking over it. And a heart that breaks is a very... What do you think your heart's for? <laughs> you know, I think the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe. And what that does is frees us from having to hold ourselves apart from both the world and our feelings about it. You know, feelings are very, they're just passing. And if you're not afraid of the s sorrow that's there, that you feel, if you're not afraid of the fear or the outrage you feel, then they pass and allows you just to go to what they stem from. If you don't be afraid of your sorrow, it comes from right straight out of your love for this world. Don't be afraid of uh, feeling the dread because that will, as you open to it, that demonstrates your courage. Joanna, you do workshops and you lead groups and in this whole process of talking about that in, in, a, in a kind of safe environment where it it's really makes it where you get witnessed in that angst that you have. And that's a very powerful way of doing it. Can I'm glad you said that, Justine, because I think that the, what's going on in our world today is uh, so colossally awful <laughs> that it's... It's too much to try to be fully present to it all by yourself. We need each other. This is, uh, we need to link arms with this. Uh, we need, and, and so many people who, who come to take the workshops 
actually begin to turn from, if they're therapists and psychologists, they're beginning to turn from one-on-one sessions uh, and therapies to group work so that we can hear other people. What a relief. You hear other people coping with feelings of overwhelm and uh, outrage. And uh, and you say, oh, and you realize this is a normal reaction. See, the main thing about, I think, that we need to know is that these responses that appear so scary to us, the anger and the fear and the dread and the sorrow, are uh, normal. They're healthy. They're wholesome responses to what's happening to our world because we are part of our world. And the larger body of which we are a part, like a cell in this larger body, it's in trauma. So, of course, we feel traumatized too. Mm -hmm. So we can use the very pain for the world that is there in each one of us as proof positive that we belong, that we are profoundly interconnected. So we we feel that connection. And how does that, how can we launch from being present to that feeling for the world and our, our, the feeling, the pain for the world? How, how do we step then into a hopeful vision for the world? What, what's that transition? Well, this, uh, the work itself goes in a spiral form where actually uh, we don't begin right away with, uh, whether it's in our private life or in a group work, uh, with diving headfirst into the painful feelings. It's, we found it's more and more important to start grounding ourselves in our gladness to be alive and our gratitude for this earth and for life itself. And this is this grounds us in our belonging and in our right to be here. It's also gratitude is the beginning of every spiritual tradition. So uh, that helps us feel held. And I, I think it's good for me to stay right off the bat that this what's happening in our time that supports the great turning is that through science and through spirituality, and I know on your program in New Dimensions, you've heard this a lot, that both in science and spiritual traditions, there's a growing recognition or a return to an ancient recognition that our earth is alive. It's not a supply house and a sewer. It is our larger living body with vast evolving intelligence that we are totally a part of, and we can draw on it. So talk about that Gaia theory. What, 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 what is that? What? Well, it is on the science side. It comes out of systems thinking, quantum theory as well, chaos theory to some extent, um, complexity theory. All of those scientific developments um, are expressions of a growing recognition of the relational nature of reality, of our universe, how it is structured, and that it is impossible to exist 
as a separate monad, that we are expressions, interrelated expressions of a dynamic universe. So um, once we... Uh, I forgot your question. Well, it, it, we, were, we were talking about the interconnectedness of all of life, the Gaia theory, that Earth is alive. It's not this dead resource that we dig into. That's right. Well, then, so that comes from science. It's also uh, coming right at the same time, and so this is so very exciting, from uh, the major religious traditions, voices that have been silenced for centuries, that have been marginalized, whether it's within Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, if Buddhism, Buddhism, even all these major these voices that recognize our intrinsic mutual belonging in a living earth are coming forward as are the indigenous voices, the ancient voices, as are the women's voices and the goddess traditions. Uh, this recognition of the imminence of the f divine feminine, all of these point to a recognition that we are part of a living earth. There was something that happened for us in, in the whole space program in those early years when we first got that photograph of the earth, this precious jewel hanging in the darkness of space. Yes. Something, something shifted there. And you know that that was uh, predicted by the astronomer Fred Hoyle, who said, once there is a photograph of Earth from outer space, that will have an effect on the minds of the people of Earth. And it, it has. And that was, at a, at a point, the consciousness did start to shift, I think, in, in, in our brief time of doing New Dimensions, which is compared to all of time. For 40 years, we've been seeing that shift in consciousness happening. Uh, it's very exciting. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's Although we don't see it reported in the mainstream media. No, and you don't see the Great Turning reported either because it's not good. It's not useful to the industrial growth society and the corporate um, powers that run, run our government for to show people how their worldview is being dismantled. Right. It's, it's scary for people who are holding on to that view. But there's good news. It's going to be even better. That life will be even better. It's not going to get worse. It can be a lot better. Can you say something about that? Well, that there's a, a huge promise that is intrinsic to the notion that we are expressions of this uh, dynamic evolutionary story uh, of our universe. So in this time, uh, the new cosmologies that are have been so stirringly presented by theologian, or he calls himself geologian, Thomas Berry, uh, Brian Swam, Sister Miriam McGillis, many others who are uh, presenting a drama that we are intrinsically part of that, and therefore our beginnings go to the back through time. You can't draw a line where you, Justine, or I, Joanna, uh, my life, the life that is living in me, did it begin with my birth? No. It began when? With my conception? No. 
It goes back, back, back. Did it begin with the first humans? No, because it goes back to the first splitting and spinning of the stars. Oh, wow. Our birthright goes way back. Joanna, we'll talk more about that in just one moment. I'm here with Joanna Macy. She's the co-author with Chris Johnstone of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Joanna Macy. Where we just inspired us to remember that we are from stardust, that we are more than just this single life, that we are we are bigger than all of that. Can you say something more? And, on and that? the ancient ones, uh, the indigenous peoples, knew that our ancestors knew that. So it's thrilling to uh, be returning to that. And just as thrilling to be returning to that with scientifically crafted concepts uh, and uh, research that shows that, that, that coincides, that confirms that. And so that's why I'm so uh, thrilled with living systems theory. And I use it so much in my work along with uh, spiritual teachings. So in... In looking at where we are right now, how important is it for us to imagine a future we would like to live in? I think it's critical, absolutely essential, Justine, because under the pressure of what's happened to uh, the accelerating uh, destruction, the accelerating consumption, indeed the acceleration of time uh, in present day existence, uh, we have fallen into such short-term thinking that uh, both the future and the past seem to uh, fall away from our consideration and we're ready to uh, destroy the work of our ancestors that often took many generations or centuries to build monuments of art and architecture and learning. And what's even scarier to me is that this is happening for our sense of connectedness to the future. We may be the first generations in history to whom the future was seemed so dispensable because we are using up everything we can, it seems, as fast as we can. Every last bit of the oil, every last bit of the fossil fuels, every last bit of the topsoil, uh, as if there were uh, going to be no tomorrow. And that becomes, of course, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the uh, 
It's a kind of mental disease, I think, to have so little regard for so little awareness of what we're doing to the life of those who are coming after us, the future ones, our children's and our children's children and their grandchildren and the generations to come. One of the things that you do in your workshop that I, a pivotal moment for me, you have a way of us to speak to those future generations. You have created a field of energy where we can actually uh, speak to those future generations. Can you talk about that? Yes, because I find that um, I love that process, and we call it the seventh generation. We also call it the double circle. So that can be found in my books and I think on my website. But I am in full agreement with the scientist, uh, Sister Rosalie Bertel, a radiologist studying the effects of radioactive contamination. And she says, uh, every being who will ever live on earth is here now. Where? in our ovaries and in our gonads and in our DNA. The future is inside us. And the choices we make, the behaviors we adopt under extreme pressure of time will affect whether these generations will have a chance to be born sound of mind and body. So the future is in us. And so let's Let's play with that. Let's feel it. The future's in you so you can speak for the future. The future's in me so I can listen to the future within myself. We can, it's a, uh, a spiritual, uh, it's an exercise of the spiritual or moral imagination to make what is biologically true uh, emotionally true for us. There's something about the process when you're speaking and you're, you're asking you're someone, you're s- sitting there with someone else and they're representing the future generation and you're representing the present and they are asking you questions yeah. from the future, asking, asking what, if, what, what was it like this, this time yes. of great turning? Joanna, there was such a relief in me to be able to speak to those people and to say, here's what it was really like, and here was the turning point for me, and here's what I did for that turning point. That's right. And even though in uh, our normal life we know this about us, but we tend to discount it or we tend to think what's not enough or it's not important. But when we are in our, by the power of our intention and moral imagination, speaking to somebody who's embodying a future seventh generation person, say two centuries from now, when we say those things, we see more clearly the drama that we're caught in right now. We see the beauty of our efforts even to open our eyes, our efforts to know And it's a great blessing to be able to see your own life in a wider context. Oh, it certainly is. Joanna, some people are really stopped when uh, they can't see 
the success of the future. They, 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 because they, the uncertainty about the future can be a real stopper. So what do you have to say about that? Yes, yeah, so f uh, for this process, I know that some people think it's too late now. There won't be any humans or what few there will be left after apocalyptic developments will be living in caves or, uh, and I say, okay, for this practice, just assume, we're gonna assume that there are beings of the future two centuries from now who have memory of what's happening, a cultural memory of what's happening in our time in the early 21st century. And just grant that. And they say, okay, we'll grant it. So then in the process of the conversation, which is structured, as you pointed out, you can hear yourself talking to the future ones, which are maybe even the possibility of the future ones. And you can see, the feel, the larger context of your life and your own moral, well, the word I want to say is beauty. You see your own moral beauty, that you give a damn, that you care about what's going to happen. And that is inestimably precious. And the other part to that, too, is that the, in, in your process, when you join with others, you're feeling a whole room full of participants that are feeling this, too, and that are actually, as you say, even if it's just having a realization that is contributing towards the positive future. So That's right. So the deep time perspective, I'm so glad you brought that out because you know, Justine, that to me, uh, and it's a ch chapter in our Active Hope book, uh, in my own life, it is probably the most fascinating and the most invigorating uh, part of my work and of the life of my heart and mind is what I call the deep time work, expanding the temporal context of our lives. And then we find we don't need to solve it all in two minutes. we part of something that's going to take quite a while. We've been about destroying the earth for quite a few centuries now, but that we're part, we can go on. We're in it for the long haul. And you know, when you realize that you don't have to fix everything by the next election or the next whatever, you're, and you're in it for several centuries, your whole body relaxes. Your rib cage just said, ah, I'm on the side of life. I'll hang in and do what's necessary, and I'm not going to be alone in it. I'm part of the living earth. Nothing that will ever happen to me will separate me from this earth. There's something I was looking for, um, some phrase that you used that was very uh, positive. It was discontinuous time. What was change, it? Change. Yeah. Discontinuous change. So that's something very that's, positive. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, this is part of what science is bringing out now, too, is that there is incremental change where you change A, which changes B, and you do it step by step, and that's fine. But there's also, thanks to the dynamics of systems and the, uh, and the, uh, the um, feedback loops, 
that there's jumps where both in evolution and and um, in climate change too, but in all major uh, unfoldings, uh, there are uh, suddenly there's a state change, a change in the very way you're organized, like the moment in a lake when the water gets colder and colder and colder, and then suddenly it's ice. It doesn't gradually, piece by piece, turn to ice. It turns to ice all at the same time. So this has been studied uh, by scientists, and it's a... uh, also, there's a spiritual corollary to that of the spirit blowing through us that we can wake up uh, together, that the moment of transformation is something that can happen bing, very quickly. So is this kind of like the tipping point when yeah. in, the, yeah. and, and suddenly it and appears? Some, it, and it's it just suddenly you're in a new situation. Like and uh, it, this is very positive or... or exciting or or makes us feel like even though we can see things are this way, this way, this way, you, you also talk about if we only look at what is right now, it's like trying to drive a car by looking in the rear view mirror. Yeah. So can you say yeah. something about yes. that? Simply because, and that's um, because where you've been is not a... Um, tell the whole story about where you're going because, and here again, I'm indebted to systems thinking, which shows that uh, as systems come together and interact, there are emergent properties. There are synergistic developments and something appears that wasn't there before. Exactly. I'm here with Dr. Joanna Macy. She, along with Chris Johnstone, are the authors of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, joannamacy.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Joanna Macy, and 
We're talking about active hope, and let's talk about hope. Uh, what do you mean by the word hope? <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny that I would ever write a book with hope in the title because, you know, at the outset of this work, I was often heard saying, hope is a killer, and don't get hope is waiting for the Lone Ranger. Hope is being pulled out from the present moment toward a preferred future, etc. So uh, writing this book with my wonderful colleague, Chris, in the UK, uh, we discover that hope is not something you have, but it's something you do. In this view of reality, you are a verb. And it's the fact that you can choose in this life. You can choose where you put your mind. Oh, it won't stay there long, but you can keep putting it back there. That's the virtue of meditation. You can choose uh, what you're going to hope for. You can choose the story that you're going to follow, whether it's the business as usual or the great unraveling or the great turning. Now, which one do you want to get behind? Right. I'm definitely the great turning. <laughs> boy. But so I, that's I want a choice. And so that, and so you can, that fact that we can actually direct our perceptions and our actions says something about our true nature and that we are basically choice makers. And this has become quite clear to me in both Buddhism and systems theory, but it's implicit in so many uh, traditional views and scientific views of life that uh, so this, and it's lovely to be telling you this, Justine, because your work, th that chapter you wrote on intention, I think it was 20 years ago. Yes, it was. Yes. In true, uh, it was the book, True gorgeous. Work. Gorgeous. Thank you. Just gorgeous. That how important was in your work with New Dimensions, uh, that amazing achievement that you and Michael unfolded for us all was again and again directed not by your total confidence, their blueprint that this is what you want, but your intention and with an it's if it's an open-ended intention, it, as you said, it organizes your responses and your perceptions in a remarkable way. So it suddenly seems as if the way is opening and people are talking to you and opportunities appear to you almost by magic, but it's really because you are oriented in a certain way. Now, what's amazing to me, Justine, in this time is that so many people are seized by an intention that is not for their personal benefit or advancement but that to a degree that I can't, I don't know if this was ever true on this planet, but people are in huge numbers are being seized by an intention for the well-being of life, for the ongoingness of the drama of living life on earth, for the sake of life on earth. Well, this is amazing. It is amazing. You have an example in your book that just made my heart sing. And it was... Um, Allie, I can't remember. Oh, Allie Howard. Howard, who swam up the... She swam down, down. the Skeena River for 26 days to 
make that river come alive to all the people who lived along it, to whom it would be. They would cross over bridges or fish in it, but suddenly the whole river, as she swam it, because it's being threatened by drilling for natural gas uh, at the very headwaters, that she'll poison it. And here's one individual who's swimming this river and hordes of people are coming out to greet her as she passes. It's, she developed this whole community around the river. I was so heartened and, by that. And what they discovered, which was part of the cheer and those that came out to kayak to cheer her on and those native First Nation people lining the banks and singing their traditional songs that they'd just about almost forgotten, that they were seized by an ancient knowing that uh, we are this river, we are this earth. So it's, and that's, it's not in, that knowledge is in us because it's true, we are. Where else do we come from? We come to, uh, directly out of this earth and we know it's a most basic level, our bodies know it. And we know it in our dreams and we know it in our tears that our lives are inextricably linked with each other in this earth. So that's worth singing about and it's worth crying oh, about and it's worth, and that is an intention that uh, we use the Buddhist term in our book, as you may have noticed, even though my co-author is not a Buddhist, he said, Joanna, I think we better use bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is there because there's not a single word for it in English, meaning an intention or a motivation that is for all of life, for the well-being, all the critters. And you've done work for years and years and years, the Council of All Beings. Oh, yeah. So powerful where you have people standing in for those who don't have a voice. Yeah. Say, say something about right, that. Right. Yes, that started 25 years ago. Do you it. know that? Yeah, or 26 years ago. The Council of All Beings where you can step aside uh, for a few moments or, you know, for the hour or two that the council lasts from your human identity. Step aside from your human identity, just stepping out of it like out of shoes that are too tight and letting another life form speak through you. Letting an animal or a tree or a mountain or a river speak through you. And the power and the beauty of what people say is remarkable. And you know that this ritual is extended on every continent. So many people uh, loving it and doing it. Right. You, you give a wonderful example. You go back to the story of Arthur, King Arthur, yeah. and pulling the uh, sword so, from, from the rock. But you, you tell that story so beautifully. And a part that I didn't remember was that Merlin had him become all these different animals. Can you yes, say well, how the, that served him in, in pulling the sword in, out? In The Once and Future King by T.H. White, which is a fanciful retelling of the Arthurian legend. Arthur's tutor was the magician Merlin. And when he was a boy, Merlin, to, for his sake of his, the boy's education, uh, turned him into one animal after another. He suddenly found himself in the palace moat being a carp or being a falcon flying off the falconer's wrist up in the sky or being a goose flying. 
and or, or an ant or an ant some, right or small. a badger digging and uh so later when he was a teenager in his late teens is when they were choosing the king for all england at a tournament in london and it was told that the next king would be the one who could draw the sword from the stone. And there the stone mysteriously stood in the churchyard. And all the knights tried to draw the stone from the rock and they sweated and grunted fit to beat the band, but they could not pull it out. They couldn't budge it an iota. And they went off furious back to the tournament. But the boy Arthur lurking there went up and he thought he'd try his hand on it and he tugged and he pulled no way and he was about to give up when he looked around and there appearing around him in the bushes were all the critters that he had been and learned with the ant the badger the carp even and the goose and the uh, falcon and they all were looking at him and he somehow felt their presence in him and the lessons he'd learned from them. And he turned and he pulled the sword from the stone as easy as a knife from butter. That's such a powerful story. And, and you're, you are saying and have been saying this whole hour, we are connected to all of those energies. They are with us. They are cheering us on. Yes. Bless you for saying yes. They're cheering us on. And I like it that in, the, in Active Hope, uh, my co-author, too, uh, it lets me adopt the word. We brought that out of the Christian Bible, St. Paul saying, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And that's true. And they say, they're all around us, the ancestors. They're inside us. They gave us our features, our body, our bones, our wits, uh, the future ones who are in our bodies, too. And all that the the trees are brother sister beings now you see it's wonderful to be alive at a time when they're still elders of the first nations we say they've known this all along you know i've just had my birthday with some onondaga sisters clan mothers they know this they know this is part of their what they assume and what's wonderful is that we're alive in a time when we can learn it afresh now, that's so positive. You are saying with all the knowledge we have of all the, the challenges on the earth today, there is a possibility if we set our intention, and there are scores of us that we don't even know about that are joining this great turning. Absolutely. And they're all over the place. And we can feel that. And we, do. And we can know that. We can breathe into that. And it's like grace. You know, that old religious concept of grace. It's like uh, there's a help coming to us that's more than our individual supply. I don't have enough courage or smarts myself, but I, it'll be supplied. The supply is pretty infinite out there if you love your world. Joanna, thank you so much for sharing your hope with us and making us hopeful with you. It's been a pleasure, Justine. I've been speaking with Joanna Macy. She, along with Chris Johnstone, are the authors of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. If you'd like to be in touch with her work, you can go to joannamacy.net, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org.
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio and Media in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can find nearly a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our archive and many other resources. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Michael Toms. Our managing producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. This is program number 3446. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard and thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, to become a member of Friends of New Dimensions, or to purchase downloadable copies of this and many other New Dimensions programs, visit our website, newdimensions.org. Or you can reach us at 707 468 5215. That's 707 468 5215. Join us next time as we explore new dimensions. <laughs> <laughs>